The views expressed in this program do not reflect the views of the staff, management, or licensee of this station. This is 91.7 FM, WHUS Stores. I am Pedlin' Ron. You are listening to Bicycle Talk. It's May 8th, 2023, to be rebroadcast on May 10th, 2023, at our regular times on WHUS 91.7 FM and WHUS.org. Welcome to Bicycle Talk without my friendly co host, the lovely Dr. Fran Storch. Franny had to go to work today. She's getting ready to leave to go to Florida, and so she's kind of got to get a whole bunch of stuff done before she can leave. So we're missing out on Fran today, but that's all right. You can can still have a comment and you can contribute information to the show and you can drop a comment down here below or you can send me an email and I'll get back to you as much as I possibly can. Anyway, uh, <laughs> our record, I'm recording my show now on Monday and then having them play at my normal times on WHUS at 11 a.m. on WHUS 91.7 FM and WHUS.org. You can also listen to past episodes of Bicycle Talk on uh, Spotify, iTunes, WHUS.org. Ron's Rant of the Week. There's always a rant, right? Isn't there always a rant? So we're out on this lovely ride on Saturday. Beautiful weather. (laughs) It's coming back. It's spring. It's lovely. Everything's blooming. The lilacs are out of control. They're just all you can smell is lilacs everywhere you go. It's really, 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 really nice. We're having this great club ride. And lo and behold, we got our first IQ salute on Saturday. Um, It was an idiot driving behind a behemoth SUV on a super quiet back road in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Um, It's a road called Perrin Road up in Woodstock. It's beautiful. It's just, there's no one around. It's farmlands. It's gorgeous. Anyway, here he comes down the road coming towards us, facing us, okay? Not on our side of the road, on his side of the road. We're on our side of the road, all right? And this guy decides to play chicken with his loaded weapon. No, I'm not talking about a gun. He didn't have a gun. He had a he had a vehicle. He had a 5,000-pound monster truck. And he swerved it out and back in again to prove his, I don't know, ignorance, maybe? Probably that's what it was. But anyway, either that or his lack of, um, well, we're not going to go there right now because this is a this is this is a uh, a family show, so we're going to go along on that. We're going to avoid that one. So anyway, he get, and as he does that, and then swings back in, and I heard a couple people in my group go, "Whoa, look at that guy! Watch out!" And um, he gave us the IQ salute through his wind windshield as he drove by. Um. He was going in the opposite direction. We weren't in his way. He's just mad at cyclists. He's just one of those guys. What's with these guys? I don't get it. We're going to talk about it a little bit more in the show because, of course, there's an explanation for everything, right? Or at least there's a theory that may lead to an explanation for everything. So we'll talk a little bit more about dealing with irate motorists in the show, which is unfortunate because I seem to talk about this an awful lot, but that's all right. We are going to go there. On a positive side, on a positive side, we had 16 people on our club ride on Saturday. That was our ride. There were two other rides that went off that day too. So with a combination of the other two rides, I'm sure there were quite a few. I did not check in with the other rides, find out how many were there, but I know we had 16. Um, 
pretty cool. A lot of people getting out. People are getting, you know, goodbye COVID. It's in the back. Yeah, it's behind us now. Please, please be behind us now. And people are getting back out and they're not afraid to go out on a group ride anymore, which is really, really nice. The only problem we have is that, you know, the group ride gets big enough. So you kind of have to split it up a little bit so that we don't cause too much of a problem out on the roads when we're riding. And we're, we try at, in our club, the Thread City Cyclers, we try very, very consciously to be aware of the fact that more than um, more than just us out on bicycles are out using the roads and we try to share the roads as best we can. So anyway, um, we have, let's see here, looks like Esteban is watching today. Hello, how are you? Very nice. Um, so, did you ride your bike yesterday? It was National Bike Ride Day. It's you know, it's May. May is Bike Month. Yesterday, the May seventh was the National Ride Your Bike Day. So, anyway, hopefully you did. Fran and I got out. We had a great ride. We actually just we did a, what Fran likes to call a romantic Fran and Ron ride. In which case, we. Uh, pedaled out over to the airline trail, the rail trail that we have that comes through our area. It's only about a mile and a half or maybe close to two miles away from our house. It's not very far away. And we pedal out to that. We hop on that. We ride into town, which is the big the big town out here, is Willimantic. And um, they have a really nifty little coffee shop and and so we uh, we went in there. We also went to our local food co-op, picked up some snacks first, and then went down to the coffee shop and we uh, hung out there. And surprise, they've started playing live music in the patio in the back outside after at between 11 and 2. 11 and 2, 11 and 1. So um, that was really pleasant. And lots of people there. Numbers of people rolling through on bicycles, which is always encouraging to me that people have discovered, A, the little coffee shop in Willimantic, which is quite cool. And B, you know, they figured out it's, it's really right off of that whole airline trail network which is part of the uh, east coast greenway so it's it's pretty cool anyway um little promotion for for our local town because i think it's cool and it all is related to bicycles so it's a good thing hey don how you doing Woohoo! nice to see you uh so uh, i want you to not forget about the fact that it is the annual Bicycles on Main in Weathersfield, Connecticut right now. This is part of our positive side. Um, it goes from May 1st to May 31st. I'll bring them up again in the uh, in the events category of the show. But uh, it's just a cool thing because everybody decorates their bicycles and they put them out on the streets. It's, it's a neat thing. If you're a bike geek, it's a fun place to hang out. So kind of cool, kind of a neat thing to support the, uh, the town of Weathersfield. It's in Old Weathersfield, Connecticut. It's very, very cool. Uh, mechanical Minute and Cycling Tips. Oh boy, I'm going down that road again. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I had a conversation yesterday with my friend Billy about this because it's a constant thing. He calls me a grumpy old man. I am a grumpy old man. It's all true. I'll admit it. I'll cop to it. But um, I have, you know, certain things that I... Ah, that I appreciate more than some of the new technology that comes through. Now, new technology is good. This is how I'm talking to you right now, right? That's a good thing. But when it comes to bicycles, I have opinions. 
Did you ever notice that? Yes, I have a lot of opinions. I will be, uh, I'll be the first to admit that also. So um, as I go grumpy about, you know, things like electronic shifting and uh, disc brakes and all those other fun things that you've heard me talk about over the years, it comes all back to the exact same thing. And this is funny because I was watching the Giro d'Italia yesterday and the best part was when I was watching it, uh, so was Billy. We were both on the phone at the same time and we were chatting with one another and one of the broadcasters started going off on this one, someone from Eurosport TV, which is the European, basically it's a European sports network and Eurosport TV and he goes off on, on tubeless tires and, you know, the, the question about them and about how, you know, he thinks that they're dangerous on road bikes and da 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 da, da. so he goes through this whole thing and and of course, Billy just kind of went, oh, my God, I can't believe this. There's someone else that's supporting your your opinions about these things. And I said, oh, this is great. I can't wait to get the bicycle talk tomorrow and talk about it. So let's talk about it. So um, one of the things that really brought this to a head with me, and um, I'll have another explanation in the show a little bit further, but uh, was the... Uh, Lege Bastille Lege and the uh, the massive crash of uh, today uh, Pagacha and how he went down so hard that he ended up breaking his wrist and now he's like questionable as to whether he's going to be in the Tour de France this year. He's one of the top riders in the world. He should be in the Tour de France. But he went down in an unfortunate accident, which is that the rider that was in front of him was he hit a pothole. And when he hit the pothole, there's there's two things that can happen when you hit a pothole. You could hit it so hard that it ejects you from your bicycle, which is what happened, um, or you could hit it so hard that it just bangs the wheels up really badly, and you end up with a couple of pretty large flat spots on your rims. And there's a very good chance that you probably will flatten your tires, be they. Um, clinchers, tubulars, or whatever, or tubeless in this case, but it's probably going to flat your tires. If you are riding on regular clinchers, or if you are riding on tubular tires, your tires basically stay on the rims because they are, you know, they're, you know, the, uh, clincher tire is beaded on so it stays put really nicely and it won't go anywhere uh the tubular tire is glued onto the rim so it stays put and it doesn't go anywhere so uh as long as it was glued properly which if you're in uh if you've been doing this as long as i've been doing this it's glued properly i'm i'm i've never ever in my entire career wooden desk in front of me I've never rolled a tubular tire. I've never had one detach on me, but I'm also cautious about it. And I also check them every year to make sure that they're still glued on good. I'm usually replacing tires after a year. Uh, it depends. Ever, there's so many things it depends on. But anyway, um, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty intent on getting that right because I know what the consequences can be. So anyway, uh, what happened in this race is the rider was riding on tubeless tires and when you hit a pothole 
and have a catastrophic failure of the tubeless tire. The tire literally blows off the rim. And now you're in a situation where there's no more rubber underneath you. There's no way to control the bike. You're riding on a metal rim and you're going, in their case, probably 25 to 30 miles an hour. Not a good scene. He went down... He took Pagacha behind him down. It, it was a big, big mess, a big scene. Not good at all. So, you know, that's a problem. Um, in my estimation, it's a problem. I decided to dive into it a little bit deeper today. So before I uh, started putting all my notes together about the show and doing my research for the show, I went to the Global Cycling Network, which is one of my favorite go-to sites. I watch a lot of bike racing with them because they've got a, a program there that you can watch a lot of Eurosport TV, basically, a lot of global cycling events. And um, I decided to type in, um, are uh, tubeless tires safe on road bikes? And guess what? They did a show on it. Of course they did. And on the show that they do, they they show um, these were, it was done just after the Paris-Roubaix. So it was, you know, and as you know, if you are an avid cycling fan or a bicycle racing fan, the Paris-Roubaix is a, uh, it's a cobbled classic. So lots of cobblestones, lots of roads that were built back in the 1100s. I mean, just like crazy stuff. And um, there are 33 or 36 segments of cobbles on that race. I mean, it's just a disaster for bicycles and kind of a disaster for the racers, but it's classic. It's been around for a really long time. It's known as the Hell of the North, and it goes on and on and on. So um, there was... They showed a clip from that particular race, and they showed a rider who was riding on tubeless tires. Because a lot of people are going to tubeless tires because they don't flat very easily, which is kind of nice. And then if you do puncture them, they've got sealant in the inside, so they reseal. There's a lot of benefits to them. They reseal nicely, and then you don't actually go completely flat on them because, you know, you've you've refilled the, the hole that you may have if you had a, a puncture due to a thorn or a, a staple or a nail or something like that or a piece of glass in the road. So um, they're becoming more and more the norm on in the pro race circuit because of that reason. That's not the only reason they're becoming the norm there. The other reason is that they also have a different type of uh, rolling resistance ride ride the ride quality is very very high on them and as the comparison goes my favorite comparison every time a tire manufacturer comes out with a new concept a new tread pattern a new material that they're using on the on the rubber on the tire a new way of building casings around and these are all around mainly clincher tires they, the comparison is rides just like a tubular tire. Well, you know what? No. You know what rides just like a tubular tire? A tubular tire. That's it. That's it. What has the characteristics of a tubular tire? A tubular tire. Everybody else is in the game to try to produce that type of ride quality, that type of durability, that type of, um, of adhesion to the road, and they're trying to develop it in something that is already there. 
It's been there for years. People have been riding on tubular tires for years. They've been racing on them for years. And I have more explanation on that too because the question is always out there. Do pro racers still ride on tubular tires? The answer is yes, they do. Do all of them do it? No, they don't. A lot of them are going to tubeless. That's the way they're going. So one of the other things that was shown on this uh, GCN video that I was watching and listening to was a rider who was riding on a, um, a tubeless tire for the Yumbo Lotto team, because uh, Yumbo is uh, Yumbo Visma team, excuse me, I my I dated myself. The Yumbo Visma team. So anyway, uh, the Yumbo riders are all riding on tubeless tires right now, but there's a big difference, and I'll tell you what that is. So if you watch the Perry Roubaix, the unfortunate flat tire that happened to Wout Van Aert right near the very end of the race. I don't know, seven kilometers to go or something like that. And he and Matthew Vanderpoel were away. And that was Vanderpoel's chance to put the hammer down because Wout had to get a, a tire change. He flatted in the cobbles and he very carefully rode around a corner, obviously had informed um, his his crew by race radio that he had a flat and then they changed his flat. Unfortunately, he lost enough time to not be able to catch back up, but he flatted his tire. He's riding on tubeless tires on cobbles. What should have been a catastrophic flat was not. And why is that? Because the Yumbo team is all riding with inserts in the inside of their tubeless tires. Inserts are these light foam, um, like rings that go in the inside, like a tube, just like a tube, just like a tube. They weigh about 20 grams, maybe something like that per wheel. So it adds a little extra weight onto your wheel. But what they do is they keep you from having catastrophic failures when you smack into a pothole really hard or when you're going, you know, 60 kilometers per hour down a hill or whatever it is, you know, you're going super fast and you don't have to worry about having a catastrophic failure. Yes, you will lose all your sealant if you hit something hard enough, but you won't lose the tire off the rim. So it's kind of cool. It's kind of a neat idea. So I did a little bit of research on inserts and tubeless tires. And I thought, you know, this could be a lot of fun. This could be a good thing to talk about on the mechanical minute and cycling tips. It's never a minute, by the way. So, um, you know, flats are no fun, period. Vittoria and a number of other companies have a solution with what they call an airliner road entire insert. And that insert goes inside. And again, it locks the bead against the rim, reducing the likelihood of burping at the bead. Burping is what happens when you start pressing sealant out because you smack something hard, um, all while cushioning you from impacts. What's the disadvantage? Okay, the disadvantage is that you're going to lose some efficiency because of it. So they say. They say that you could lose as much as two to five watts of power because of it, which is the gain that you get when you go to tubeless tires. So that's kind of interesting. That definitely is a, a, an interesting part. You're going to gain a little bit of weight. 
which, okay, you're going to lose a little bit of that handling and control. So where where's the problem here? I mean, it seems like a really neat idea, right? And they've been using it in the mountain bikes for a while because mountain bike racers don't want to, they don't want to get a flat and they like to ride on really, really, really low pressure tires. So they use these inserts. Um, so my question is, if you are listening to this video or to this audio, could you please get back to me and let me know if you are using inserts in your tires at this time? Because I want some feedback. I want to know, you know, what people are doing, how they're feeling about it, how it all goes. So here's where the problem comes in. All right. The problem here is that the cost of two inserts I'm not going to give any prices. I'm not supposed to give prices on the public radio show, so we're not going to do that. Is equal to the cost of, yeah, 10 tubes. Either way. Okay, so. Hmm. Now, that's depending on whether you buy the expensive inserts or the less expensive inserts. But it still comes down to the same thing because it depends on whether you're buying the expensive tubes or the inexpensive tubes. But it just comes down to the same thing. 10 tubes versus two inserts. All right? Hmm. Something to think about, isn't it? By the way, this is an FYI. I went through three tubes last year with both Fran and I and our bicycles. And I'm not talking just one bicycle that's riding on clinchers. I'm talking multiple bicycles riding on clinchers. I got on my bike this morning. I rode it up to the community center to teach my class and back. I rode on Saturday on that same bike. That's got tubulars on it. I'm still riding on tubulars. By the way, those tubulars are the tubulars I was riding on last year. They're still going, still going strong. I don't, I try not to buy inexpensive tubulars. I try to buy more expensive tubulars. They're still not a whole lot different in price than a high quality clincher and a good tube in the inside. Just saying, just saying. Um, and certainly less expensive than a high quality clincher and an insert and a special valve, which you need to seal it all off, and the solvent, that, uh, not solvent, <laughs> not far from solvent, you don't want to put solvent in there, but the, uh, the, uh, the sealant that you put in the inside I ride on tubulars. They're really nice. Why why compromise when you can ride on something really, really nice? And I know I'm a little guy. I can get away with a lot. I don't have to worry about it because I don't impact my bike the same way as other people impact their bike, especially riders that are much larger than I am. But God, I just, I, I, the debate just keeps going on and on and on. And as it goes on, I uh, went to, where is it here? I go to a very simple, um, you know, the classic Google search. Um, my Google search was, why are tubular tires still popular with bicycle racers? Okay, hardcore cyclists and mountain and road bike racers have long considered tubulars to be the gold standard. They ride like a dream because of their lighter weight and tight adherence to the rim. Tubular tires look the same as clinchers on the outside, but work in a very different way. Okay, it's true. They're glued onto the rims. There's another thing about tubular tires, just so you know. They have no bead. They have no edge to them. 
okay? They are round and they are sewn together. They're also known as sew-ups. That's an old-fashioned word for them. But they're sewn together so that there is no bead. So when you are riding on a tubular tire, which is properly glued onto the rim, big, big thing there, properly glued onto the rim. When you're going around a corner, that tire actually rolls with your body weight as you're going through the corners. And just, it's always got a really solid grip on the surface underneath you. So there's no real fear of your bike kicking out underneath you because you kind of get to the edge of that clincher tire and you're kind of on the edge of where the real good tread is and all. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen at all. So that's kind of a cool thing. Um, you know, many people are saying um, that there's, you know, that tubular tires are going to come to an end, that tubeless tires are going to take over, and that's what's going on here. Uh, so, you know, the question of do pro, why do pro riders ride on them? Well, as much as tubeless and tube type tie clinchers are making inroads in the pro ranks, tubulars are still more popular overall. There's also the fact that tubulars provide a distinctive ride quality along with the cornering performance offered by that oh so round cross section. There it is, the round cross-section. It rolls with you. It goes back and forth. That's the whole point. Many pros still like tubular tires because of the safety they offer in the event of a puncture. Here it is, folks. As the tire is glued to the rim, it should stay where it should stay right there when deflated, allowing the rider to continue rolling along at the back of the Peloton until their team car comes up to change the wheel. You can ride on them when they're flat. You can't go around a corner on them when they're flat, but you can still ride on them when they're flat. It's not a pretty ride. You're going to be smacking that valve every single time. And, you know, you're probably going to eventually ruin your rim if you consider, if you, if you continue to ride on it. But the point is you can still ride on the bike in control of the bike. All right. Even if you have a catastrophic smack a pothole and flatten it in some way because they generally don't pinch flat, but they would in a, in a situation like that. Um, you know, you can still ride it out. It doesn't dissolve from the rim and now all of a sudden you're metal on the road and you're screwed, basically, is where you are. So that's... Um, it's sort of a uh, mechanical minute. It's more of a continued rant. I'll admit it. I rant a lot, and you will hear me talk about this more and more as we go in. But, um, ugh, you know, I, I just, I just don't know what to say. Um, I am, I am a tubular, tubular guy. I still ride on them. I rode on them this morning. They're lovely. I really like them a lot. They're. Um, the ride quality is good. They're getting harder to find. It's hard to find good ones, um, but they're out there. They're certainly out there. I I was I was really thrilled because the last set of tubulars that I found, I found um, some Michelin Pro Race Four tubulars. I'd never seen Pro Race Four tubulars before. Only the four Pro Race Four clinchers, which is something that I have ridden on over the years. I also have ridden on Vittoria's. Um, Vittoria makes some great, great tubular tires. And they also make really, really nice clincher tires, which is what I have on my clincher wheels on, on both 
my bike, one of my bikes, and also Fran's bike. And we ride on, but what do we ride on? We ride on the high-level ones. We ride on the Corsa CGs and CXs. They have 290 TPI. They've got a really high thread count. The higher the thread count is, the better the ride quality is, the more durable the tire is, because you've got that casing that's like really tightly, tightly woven. So you just get a lot more out of it. You get a lot more enjoyment out of it. And, you know, if you care to do that, and that means more to you than price, then you just, you know, you buy the better tire. That's all. That's what it is. You use the better tire. <sighs> okay. So, bringing us back to... <laughs> It just brings us back to the same thing all the time. It brings us back to um, the fact that I'm still not sold on tubeless tires. Now, my friends who ride mountain bikes, they said tubeless is the absolute answer and has been for years. I'm not going to argue that. I think they're right. I think they're right. For what they're doing, I think they're right. But for me, at... 30 to 50 miles an hour going down a hill. Eh, not so not so warm and fuzzy about that one. And you know, people are getting hurt. And people are getting hurt because of catastrophic failures. And that's that's just not a good answer. So should the UCI step in and talk about this? I'm nodding yes on this one. I am certainly in favor of them, you know, rather than being worried about how tall your socks are. Really? That's true. That's true. I think they should like regulate things that are actually a concern of safety to the riders. The riders are basically put on uh, whatever they are put on by the team. The team decides to sign a contract with a tire company. The tire company says, you're going to ride our tires, but you're only going to ride on um, tubeless tires this year. No more tubulars. The riders are, are the guinea pigs. They're out there and they're finding out, as Pagacha did the hard way, that that was not such a good idea. So... Um, yeah, you know, I just, I think rider safety is an important thing. And we, we talk about all these other things going on, aggressive sprinting and hooking wheels and driving people into barriers at the end of the race and all this other stuff. And we're not talking about and addressing a very, very basic concern, the tires that are on the road on the bicycles. Not sold, not sold. Someone convince me, please. Someone tell me the right way to do it. If it's that, if you're going to race the bike, you have to have inserts inside your tires. Great. Have inserts inside your tires. It's going to cost you 20 or 30 grams. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It's safer. It's a lot safer. I don't want to see anyone get hurt unnecessarily. You know, bicycle racing is a very, very, very dangerous game. It really is. It's, um, I'll be the first to tell you that. I was the first to tell the parents that used to come in my bike shop and they'd say, my son or my daughter wants to race bicycles and we were told to come see you because you had a strong opinion about this. <laughs> yeah, I had a strong opinion even back then. Isn't that amazing? So anyway, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'd tell them, I'd sit them down and say, look, first things first, let's get this straight. This is probably the most dangerous thing you put your kid into. 
I said, other than football, which, of course, has its other... That's American football, by the way, if you're listening across the pond. But anyway, um, that's pretty dangerous, too. There's a lot of dangerous sports out there. If you're going to play a sport, you're going to subject yourself to some level of danger somehow, some way. It happens. It happens. It does. You're going to have an injury. You, you could have a problem with it. It can happen. But anyway, um, so... But if you can eliminate that, if you can eliminate that by doing something that's been going on for 60, 70 years, tubular tires, why not eliminate it? Right? Right? They still work. And there are still riders that demand them. There are still riders in the pro peloton that say, no tubeless tires. I don't care if it's going to give me five or six more watts of power. I don't want to, I don't want to gamble with that. You know, I when I raced my bike, I had I had my rate lighter weight race wheels, and then I had my training wheels, and my training wheels were always a little heavier, a little more durable, and just could handle a lot more wear and tear because you're putting a lot of excessive miles on, and you're on all sorts of roads that are, you know, sketchy in places. So you know, you had your training wheels, and then you had your race wheels, which were the lighter ones that you put on at the. Um, you know, on race day. Uh, Thomas says, Victoria TPU ultralight speed tubes weigh 30 grams and have low, has low friction. New type of tubes. Ooh, interesting. Thanks, Thomas. I do appreciate you sharing that with me. I'll look that up and check it out. That sounds kind of cool. I, I just think that there's other alternatives out there. I think there's other ways of doing it. Flat tires are going to happen. They always do. But unnecessary flat tires because of road hazards you can't always guarantee that it's not going to be a pothole in front of you you can't always guarantee that you're not going to get roughed off to the edge of the road and maybe drop off the pavement hit a sharp edge on your way down and then end up in kind of a catastrophe it happens it's part of the risk you take when you race bicycles but should it be part of the risk you take when you're just out having a nice recreational ride <clears throat> I rest my case. I'm not going any further. I'm going to get so many uh, negatives on this one, and uh, you know, and Billy's going to be number one on this. He's going to be he's going to be marching with the band on this one. But that's okay. That's okay. I really don't care because I have other things I could talk about that I can rant about, and people can argue with me about. And that's fine. I'm good with it. So. Let's go on to something I started out with, um, which didn't have anything to do with the mechanical. <laughs> it had to do with the rant of the week. The rant of the week was this idiot driving an SUV down the road in the opposite direction where we were not in his way at all, but he felt his right to threaten us with his violent weapon and then flip us off in the process. Obviously, this particular gentleman has some issues that go far beyond his ability to be an adult. But, you know, that's what it is. It happens. Um, and, and so my question is, and, and this is an interesting question, why are drivers getting more aggressive? This seems to be a problem. Hostile personality and being over-competitive are two factors that contribute to being an aggressive driver. People that are egocentric, impulsive, overconfident to handle problems, and those with poor problem-solving skills are more prone to aggressive 
of too aggressive driving. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? That came from a law slash insurance um, site. That, that little statement right there. Uh, so here's where I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in my two cents here and I'm gonna throw in a little bit of the research that I had but I'm gonna I'm gonna rent I'm gonna run by some information here first before I get there uh, so the question of larger vehicles and more aggressive drivers so here's an overview um, aggressive driving is made up of syndrome of habits and that stick together with plenty of individual variation. Young drivers are more aggressive in all driving behaviors than older drivers. Senior drivers are the least aggressive. Hey, I fall into that category. Older than dirt, but still on the right side of it. Men are more aggressive than women when they drive sports cars and light trucks. By the way, the light trucks aren't light anymore. We won't get into that. Um, we could get into that. Women are more aggressive than men when they drive SUVs and luxury cars. Oh, eye-opener, folks. For economy and family cars, it really depends on specific behavior. So people who drive family cars and economy cars tend to be less aggressive when they're out riding their, when they're out driving their vehicles. There appear to be three psychological categories of vehicles that people drive. Tough driving cars. Those would be sports, light trucks, and SUVs. Soft driving cars, which are family and economy cars. And special driving cars, vans and luxury cars. Each of these psychological categories has its own aggressive driving syndrome that distinguishes it from the others. It's evident that aggressive driving is a cultural norm that is generally, uh, generationally transmitted as a habit imbibed in childhood when riding with parents and reinforced by repeated media portals of drivers behaving badly. Oh my God. So if you're an aggressive driver and you're driving down the road, you got kids in the back, guess what? They're learning that. This isn't rocket science, okay? This is normal standard psychology. Nothing big there. If you inspect the, the correlation matrix, you'll see that aggressiveness syndrome is made up of the following driving behaviors. Okay, number one, feeling more stress. Who's not more stressed in this world that we're in right now? Especially here in the United States where we seem to like, we seem to cap the market on stress here. Swearing more often. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Ooh. Anyway, um, <laughs> I swear like a sailor, except on Bicycle Talk because I'm not allowed to. But acting more frequently in hostile manners. Speeding on a regular basis. Do you speed? Does that make you an aggressive driver? Yelling more at other drivers? You know, I spent a number of years behind the windshield of a car while um, doing my job because I was a sales rep in the bicycle industry. So, you know, 30, 40,000 miles a year behind the windshield of a car, you kind of end up yelling at a lot of other drivers because you see what the stupid things that people do. So I'm guilty of that. I'll definitely go there. Honking more at other drivers. Welcome to New York City. Um, making more insulting gestures. We know what those are. Those are the IQ, IQ salutes that I talked about earlier in the show. Tailgating more often. Hmm. Cutting off more often. 
Mm. I see a lot of that. Expressing road rage behavior more often, feeling enraged more often, more often indulging in violent fantasies. (laughs) Oh, God. Feeling more competitive with other drivers. Are you a competitive driver? Why? Do you race cars? Is that what you're doing? You don't need to be a competitive driver. Feeling more, um, oh, rushing more of the time and more often feeling the desire to drive dangerously, feeling less calm and level-headed behind the wheel. Those 16 behaviors define aggressive driver syndrome. Have you got any of them? (laughs) There you go. (sighs) So, I have a theory. And then I went and chased my theory. I decided to take a look at this and see if there was any correlation to aggressive driving behavior and the size of vehicles. Huh. Guess what? There is. There is. The bigger the vehicle, the more aggressive the driver is. Um, from everything I've read, it's it's kind of a syndrome that goes along with a uh, when you take a driver and you put them behind the wheel of something that is large and powerful, they feel larger and more powerful when driving them. So it basically enhances their um, their weakness in their egos and their self-worth, and it helps them feel better about themselves. All right, so let's look at the real reason here. So if you looked at my recent Facebook post on Bicycle Talk, you'll have to see that I posted something which was kind of a, a big eye-opener here. And I had a reader uh, or a, a follower come back to me and say, this goes all the way back to the PT Cruiser, uh, where they took a basic small economy vehicle and they made it into a light truck by calling it the PT Cruiser fell into the light truck category, therefore allowing them to give you a vehicle that was less safe and had more emissions. So anyway, if you uh, look at this, the new mileage rules have encouraged small cars to become big trucks. Here's where it all comes in. So it's not necessarily people who are interested in getting a bigger car. What it really comes down to is that the big the manufacturers of the vehicles have found that the emission standards for the little cars are higher than the emission standards for the big cars, i.e. trucks. Why is that? That's a really good question. I, I'd, I'd love to figure out what the reason is there because now they've made all these trucks on the big category into luxury passenger vehicles and they're not they're trucks they're classified as a truck they're rated as a truck and they therefore get and and the bigger they can make them the less they are required to meet the mileage standards how about that okay so now you the consumer who uh, very easily got hooked on this idea of I'm going to go buy myself a big old SUV or a big old F-150 pickup truck, not to mention any particular brands because Silverado is another one. But anyway, um, we get roped into the advertising, we get roped into the media, and the next thing you know, we're driving off the lot in this gigantic thing that we've never really had any training to learn how to drive. And when we're driving down the road and there's a cyclist in front of us, 
it's no longer there's a cyclist on the road that I'm sharing the road with. It's a, they're in my way because I'm too big to get around them. <sighs> I get a lot of sighing in this show. A lot of sighing today for sure. So how did the U.S. get hooked on big cars and trucks? They got hooked on it by advertising. They got hooked on it by feeling a weakness of and a, a, a lack of self-worth. We're going to go back to um, mental health on this one. Isn't that awful? You know what really helps with your mental health? Go out and ride your bike. Go ride a bicycle. You'll feel a lot better about yourself. You'll feel stronger. You'll feel more powerful. You'll feel great when you ride your bike. You don't have to go out and buy a $50,000 monster truck to feel good about yourself. You can buy a nice $5,000 bike, though. It'd be really nice. Anyway, um, you know, you don't have to do that. It's, it's just, you know, the car manufacturers are playing on two things. One, their profit margin. Their profit margin goes up enormously when they sell you something large. They can squeeze in all sorts of little corners of um, luxury items, etc., that they make big, big profits on. And they really don't care about you. They really don't, you know? And unfortunately, as a cyclist, we get it. They don't care about us either because we are the ones that are the vulnerable users that are running into the problems with these ginormous vehicles. It's an interesting word, ginormous. I don't think it's a real word, but it's a fun word. Um, and and in the, in the end result is get off the road, right? Get off the road. You, you know, you ride off enough. You, you hear it all at some point. What's your best response? <laughs> best response is to smile and wave. And, you know, if you get somebody who's, who's um, somehow attentive enough to pull over and really have a chat with you about it, because there are people that will get out and they'll aggressively just start screaming at you. You can then thank them very nicely for pulling over and talking. Uh, but the big thing is do not shout back. Do not gesture the driver, driver in any way. Breathe, think, and ride away in one piece. Um, it, this person is not mentally together if they're thinking that they can threaten you with that large of a weapon when they're driving down the road. I don't consider large vehicles like this that are driven in aggressive ways as vehicles or cars and trucks anymore. I consider them weapons because that's really what they are. Because 5,000 pounds versus my 132 pound body, there's there's an obvious answer here and it, it's not going to be good for me. So, um, and you know, that 5,000 pound vehicle probably hardly even noticed they hit me. They'll barely feel the bump and they may not even put a dent in their vehicle. So anyway, uh, try to be nice. Try to be in informative if you do have someone who wants to talk to you about it. Uh, you want to kind of think it through. Uh, you want to... Try to pass along to the motors the reasons that we have the full right to be on the road. That's a tall order. It really is. Even in an ideal situation, if we had a chance to sit down with an aggressive driver and discuss our respective positions rationally, there's still a really good chance it would end up in, well, I guess we'll just have different opinions here and we will beg to differ. That's probably what's going to turn into it. But if you can teach them, if you can, if you can inform them that 
there's an end result here that there there's a really good reason why you're out using your bicycle and why lots of people are using their bicycles now and we're getting much much more usage out there and explain to them that you know you have a certain concern for your planet and the environment and i know that goes over real big with some folks but you know you do i like breathing the air i breathe i like it a lot and then the air i breathe is not so good because it's being polluted by guess what the internal combustion engine which is the big problem out there right now um, in this country anyway so you know how can you have that rational conversation the first thing and the foremost thing is, first and foremost, if you get a chance to have the conversation, here's how it can go. Actually, I have the right to be here. Um, you apply your state or province or whatever it is, and you outline your rights. Get to know your rights as a cyclist in your in your state, okay? I pay for the roads too through municipal and federal taxes. I'm acting in a safe and responsible manner, respecting other road users and expect the same in my return. For my choice of transportation helps reduce traffic congestion and results in healthier population and benefits you in many ways you may not realize, including reducing municipal spending on infrastructure. I am entitled to be sharing the road with you. Get that? To be sharing the road with you. You know, when you start mentioning things like that, um, the motorist may say, that makes sense. Thanks for sharing the information with me. Have a great ride. Will it happen that way? Probably not. But... You know, you know, you know, we can always dream. We can always dream. So <laughs> the, uh, you know, and this goes back to uh, uh, listener Chris Brown said, this isn't new. Chrysler recalled the PT Cruiser light truck 20 years ago for the same reasons. So there you go. You know, it's it's been out there for a while. It happens. <sighs> Let's move on. Let's move on. I think I have, um, I have, beat that one to a pulp so we're going to go on to back here and we'll talk a little bit more uh so in conclusion i'm going to say that um i'm going to say yeah i think the bigger vehicles are creating more aggressive behavior behind the wheel because people feel safer being behind the wheel of a very very large vehicle they feel safe they feel protected because the marketing told them that they were doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Moving on, pro race news. Let's go on to the pro race news. So our friends at, at NBC were very, very kind in, um, I think they called themselves Discovery now. I can't remember what they call themselves, but um, they gave us seven stages of La Vuelta Femenina. And uh, the Vuelta Femenina is the Vuelta of Spain, but women's version, seven stages. It was a seven stage race. Uh, Van Vluten narrowly secures the, the GC while Vollering wins stage seven. Uh, back and forth, crazy stuff, good racing, really good racing, great coverage. Big thumbs up to Discovery NBC for what they did. Uh, we got lots of really, really good coverage. Uh, so anyway, that was a lot of fun. It was really exciting. If you are a subscriber to that particular service, you can go back and watch the old episodes of it and check it all out because it's very exciting. It was really good stuff. The Giro d'Italia. 
Okay, starts off with a bang. Stage one prologue TT, 19.6 kilometers. Not a long race, not a short race. You know, 19 kilometers is 19 kilometers. It's still a lot. Remco Evenepoel has a landslide victory in a time trial all by himself. All right. He, file, he flies across the time trial course for a victory and the first uh, Maria Rosa, which um, and Ghana and Almeida com, uh, complete the podium while Primoz Roglic, the other contender in the race, finishes 43 seconds back. Woohoo! Wow. Good stuff, huh? Great performance by by Evanapol for, you know, putting out just like an incredible effort on a TT bike. If you've ever ridden a TT bike, raced a TT bike, whatever, you know it's not easy. Uh, stage two comes along. It's a long, flat stage. It saw a late crash and a victory for Jonathan Milan. And stage three is happening today. And I'm not going to do any spoiler alerts today because um, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> but anyway... Keep in touch with us on this. This is this is kind of a cool thing. We do I do love the Vigero. I will tell you the Giro is um, one of my favorites. It has different levels of excitement in it. So anyway, um, it's going to end with um, there's going to be a circuit stage in Rome, but um, and there's going to be a total of 70.6 kilometers of time trialing, seven summit finishes, and a tough final week through the Dolomites and the Julian Alps. So, yeah, let's keep in touch on that one. I will continue to broadcast more about the Giro, I, one of my favorite races. Must be the half Italian in me. I don't know. I'll thank my dad for that and my grandfather and, you know, my grandmother. You know, they were full, full blood Italians and came from Senegalia, Italy, if you ever want to know kind of cool anyway um so the Giro continues and everything else continues there's just so much stuff going on i've got events may is bike month uh there's a vision zero meeting in hartford tomorrow in, at the keeney park pound house pond house uh 3323 edgewood seat uh street at 5 30 p.m they're kicking off conversations about speed reduction traffic calming on garden street greenfield street and more so that's kind of a cool thing if you want to get a little more actively involved and see what's going on in the hartford area they're very proactive out there very cool the uh may 31st through the 30s through uh may 1st through the 31st is um is uh the uh Basically, along with National Bike Month, is also Weathersfield Historic Culture Visit, you know, uh, district and the bicycles on Main. Very, very cool. Um, and let's see, Sunday, June. 4th, 11th, we have the Weathersfield Bicycle Festival Show and Swap Meet. This is their 10th annual event. Very cool. It's posted on the Facebook page if you want to get more information about it. It's right there. Um, and it is basically a festival, a show, a swap meet, uh, celebrating all things bicycles. Kind of cool. So if you have some stuff you want to sell, you can talk to the event organizer there. Or if you have some things you want to go check out, maybe you want to buy some stuff. There's lots of old stuff there as well as new stuff. It's kind of cool. It's kind of a cool thing. So check it out. June 11th. That's coming up very, very close. 
to our general area. Uh, remember that the 110th edition of the uh, 2023 Tour de France starts on July 1st, and the 78th edition of the Vuelta España starts on August 26th. And of course, um, we have the International Ride of Silence coming up in less than two weeks now, or within two weeks, I should say. May 17th, our ride will start off at the Mansfield Community Center, 10 South Eagle Road. If you're a listener of Bicycle Talk and you want to do something for advocacy, because you know how I ask everybody, just do one thing in the year, this is the one thing you need to do. Show up to this. It's very cool. If you need more information, just reach out to me. Um, and let's see, do I have anything else on the event calendar? The bicycle game on the early history of bicycles in Hartford is still going on, 1 Elizabeth Street, Hartford, Connecticut, at the Connecticut Historical Society. Cool stuff. Lots of cool stuff. Okay, finishing points. <laughs> what is with people in SUVs and trucks, and why do they have to be so darn aggressive? Is it me? Is it them? What's going on? Am I really that big of a problem for you? <sighs> anyway, I'll say it again. It won't be my last time. Get loud. Get active. Our time has come. Stop complaining about traffic, dangerous roads, the price of gas, and lack of places to safely ride, and join the revolution of change. You might just surprise yourself. The views expressed in this program do not reflect the views of the staff, management, or licensee of this station. You've been listening to Bicycle Talk without my co-host, Fran Storch. She'll be back soon. A show where we talk about bicycles, bicycle culture, bicycle advocacy, upcoming news and cycling, the bicycle business, and the bicycle calendar. If you've been listening to this on Facebook Live, on the Bicycle Talk Facebook page, you can leave a little note down here and we can talk a little bit more. Um, or you can send me an email at bicycletalk.com the numeral one at gmail.com. If you'd like to suggest something for the show, we'd love to hear from you also in contributing information or whatever. And um, that's, that's basically what I got. This is Peddling Ron. Remember, keep your rubber side down. Keep the wind at your back. Get out, ride your bike. It really could save your life, save mine. This is 91.7 FM, WHUS stores and whus.org. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week.